Psalm 119 and the, the verse 129. <clears throat> verse 129. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore with my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. Amen. May the Lord bless these verses to our hearts. It ought to be the desire and delight of every Christian to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord. And certainly, that would be God's desire for us. And to help us in that growth, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 has these words of encouragement. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Peter 1.21 reminds us how it came about that we have the word of God. It reads, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So that's one good reason why we love our Bible and why we should make good use of it. This word has literally come to us from the mouth of God. And that little letter, pay, at the head of this section carries the meaning of the mouth. Our Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And aren't we dependent upon the Lord to provide us with daily sustenance? But while bodily nourishment is important to us, Matthew six or sorry, Matthew four, verse four, our Saviour says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you can detect from that that there's there's more to living than feeding the physical man. The spiritual man is far more important. After all, this flesh will fail. It is appointed unto men once to die. So no matter how well the body may be fed and looked after, it's not going to last. I don't want to sound too morbid. But didn't the Lord say to Adam, Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return? 
one day this physical frame will succumb to the power of death. But the soul will live forever. So obviously its nourishment is infinitely more important. In John 6, 51, the Lord Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Compare that with the thought that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And you can see the importance of feeding your soul upon Christ. You know, this, this is kindergarten, really, isn't it? It's elementary. You can't live without him. And you certainly can't afford to die without him. As well as receiving the living word from the mouth of God, the believer's desire must also be to use his own mouth for the glory of God. You'll be familiar with the exhortation of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which reads, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't the mouth part of the body? Isn't it that part of the body that's probably used more than anything? It's that organ that is to be employed for the glory of God. How sad that so many in our day allow the mouth to soil the work of God. How often does somebody's mouth get them into trouble? Perhaps through backbiting or tail-bearing? Regrettably, too many don't guard the mouth. As an old proverb says, when in deep water, keep your mouth shut. As a Chinese proverb says, he who have sharp tongue usually cut own throat. There's truth in it. Scripture has plenty to say about the use of the tongue. But God has said in the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now the language of the wicked in this world is repugnant to the child of God. No matter where you go, somebody's taking the Lord's name in vain. And it's horrible to listen. But beloved, think of this. If you, as a child of God, if you pray and don't believe in what you're asking God for, you're actually taking his name in vain. If you're saved, but you don't serve the Lord with all your heart, you know, words, you share your affection with things in the world, you're taking his name in vain. That's not our subject today. I want to look at this 17th section of this Psalm 119. Since it concerns the mouth of God, let's consider the spoken word of God. Notice here the miracle of his word. Verse 129. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. Now the word wonderful here is from a Hebrew word that means miracle. And when you consider just what our Bible is, surely the term miracle is a very fitting accolade. The Bible commentator J. McLagan said way back in 1853, the Bible itself is astonishing and standing miracle. 
was written fragment by fragment through the course of 15 centuries under different states of society and in different languages by persons of most opposite tempers, talents, and conditions, learned and unlearned, prince and peasant, bond and free. He said, cast into every form of instructive composition and good writing, history, prophecy, poetry, allegory, emblematic representation, judicious interpretation, literal statement, precept, example, proverbs, disquisition, epistle, sermon, prayer. It's all there. You have it all between the covers of the Bible. In short, all rational shapes of human discourse and treating, moreover, on subjects not obvious but most difficult, its, its authors are, are, are not found like other men contradicting one another, even in most ordinary matters of fact and opinion, but are in harmony, the one with the other, till the whole Bible comes together in one sublime momentous scheme. What a wonderful book this Bible is. God's Word is wonderful in a number of ways. For example, it's wonderful in its sufficiency. The Jews were sometimes criticized for having so many laws they couldn't possibly keep them all. The Mosaic Law had some 613 commandments. How you could ever remember them all is baffling, let alone keep them all. But when you consider that in places like Britain and America, thousands of people are employed every day to keep making changes to the statute books, and they still can't get it right. It shows the law of God to be concise. God's law works. The entire personal, political, financial, social, moral, religious life of the Hebrew people were covered by those laws given to Moses. God's law works. Isn't it sad today that men have chosen to disregard God's law? Isn't it so they don't want the Bible in schools anymore in many parts of the world? How strange that they'll rob young children in their tender years when their lives are being fashioned. They'll rob them of the truth of God's Word. And they allow them to grow up in a world of recklessness and abandonment. And then when they end up in prison, they'll give them a Bible there. They've got everything the wrong way around. Not only is his law outstanding in its sufficiency, but it also excels in its simplicity. The Mosaic law was divided into two parts, moral and ceremonial. The failure to keep God's law incurred a debt to society that had to be paid for by punishment. It also incurred guilt before God, yet the ceremonial law had in it provision for the guilt to be covered. They say that a matter isn't legal these days unless you can't understand it. There's some truth maybe in that. But God's law is so written that a child can understand it. For example, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet and so forth. You see, 
Sin is the breaking of God's law. You sin when you break God's law, and the contravention of his law carries the death penalty. That's how serious it is. The wages of sin is death. Scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's that simple. But that's serious. Our government today has so many loopholes in the law that the criminal is nearly safer than the person against whom he commits his crime. They've got so, so far away now from common sense that they, they can't issue a sentence to fit crime anymore. As the psalmist says back in Psalm 126, it's, it is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Isn't that what we're seeing today? Isn't God's law outcast? Anybody who talks common sense these days is ridiculed, and everybody else is going out of their way to be offended. What a crazy world we live in. You know why? Because they have disregarded and ignored this book and discarded it. Here he says, thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. It shows here's one who had respect for God's law. And the great trouble with our society today is that wise men have made such fools of themselves by introducing laws that are so anti-God, they've lost all respect. And the only way to that they, they, they'll get anything reasonable back anything that even smells of common sense is to get back to the Bible. They don't want God's law, yet the laws that man is making are bringing society to its knees. And the authorities are, they can't cope. Yet they, they still want to declare this book outdated. Oh, they learn yet that as far as God's concerned. His way is perfect. But we wonder just how far down will man have to sink? How far will the Lord have to let man go before he realizes God's law is right? It'll take time. But whenever God sends us revival, and I hope you're praying for it because we sorely need it, men then will get their eyes open and they'll discover that the Christians were right after all. Can God do it? Well, he's done it before, hasn't he? He's the unchanging God. Can he do it again? Of course he can't. Do we expect it? Are we praying for it? Do we see the need for it? Certainly do. Beloved, pray for revival. Because this nation sorely needs it this time. This is one reason why we've got to keep praying for it. That men's eyes might be opened. Why ought men to live by God's word? Because God's word gives light. Verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. What does light do? Doesn't it dispel the darkness? Of course, you switch a light on, it also shows up the dirt. You may clean your windows on a dull day. Then the sun comes shining through and you see the streaks and you thought you had got it all. You thought you'd done a good job, but then you, when the sun comes out, you discover you'd missed bits. But listen, let the searchlight of the word of God shine upon your soul. 
It'll show up those areas that you thought were clean but aren't. And if worldly contamination has crept into your heart, child of God, God's word will search it out and expose it to you. But you should thank God that it does. If you're like the psalmist, you'll not mind. Indeed, you'll be thankful that is brought to your attention. If you know about something that shouldn't be there, if you don't want to get rid of it, that's when alarm bells start to ring. The entrance of God's word furthermore gives understanding to the simple. Not to the sophisticated and clever, but to the simple. That word simple refers to those who are easily taken in. We might say to the, the gullible. But beloved, if people are gullible enough to take in the word of God, that makes them very wise. When a man thinks he's too clever to pay heed to God's word, he makes himself a fool. Isaiah 19, 12 and 13 reads, Where are they? Where are thy wise men? And let them tell thee now, let them know what the Lord God of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. Princes of Noph are deceived. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 reminds us that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It doesn't say none, but not many. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are made. The base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Some people may look on you and say, well, sure, what are you? You're nothing. Well, praise the Lord, because the Lord uses the nothings of this world. That encourages my heart no end. This is part of the miracle of God's word, that it makes wise men out of those that the world sees as fools. Any man who seeks the Lord and lives by his word is a wise man. Second thought here is the manna of God's word. Verse 131, <clears throat> I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Now remember, we're under the letter pay here, which means the mouth. Like many other Hebrew words, pay has another meaning. It can also be translated opening. And here you have the, the two meanings in the opening phrase of this verse. I opened my mouth. The idea here is of an animal panting in the heat, gasping for air or a drink of water. We sang the words at the beginning of this service of Psalm 42, uh, where the, the heart pants after the water brooks. The psalmist said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Tell me, beloved, do we really pant after the Lord? Or do we live life at our own pace, doing our own thing, and maybe here and there along the way we'll say, hello, Lord. 
just let you know I'm still here. Or do we just run to the Lord when there's trouble, but otherwise get on with our own thing? How many of us know what it is to pant after God, just for who he is? And incidentally, the word heart in that first verse of Psalm 42, the heart I'm given to understand refers to the young deer when it reaches the age of five. Don't ask me why that is. Does that not tell us that even a five-year-old can seek the Lord, can pant after God? Do we really know what it is to long for him? By contrast, the writer in Psalm 10 says, the wicked through pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Never let that be said about a child of God. Well, the ungodly run after the things of this world, don't they? And they often run themselves into a tizzy, trying to find some sort of satisfaction from those things that appeal to the flesh but cannot and never will satisfy the soul. Did ever you know as many people getting tattoos these days? It's unreal. There was a picture in the paper the other day. Some dear soul decided to get her eyes tattooed out. Mind boggles and now she's just losing her sight. People are plastered in these things. Why why is this sort of thing going on? People are looking for a new buzz. They've tried just about everything else. It doesn't satisfy. And they'll go any direction for something to fill that void. And they don't realize it. It's a void that only the Lord can fill. If only they would get into the Word of God, their souls would be blessed and they would find purpose in life. Men give all their energies to serving the devil and they don't realize it. And he's running them into the ground. Yet God says in Psalm 81.10, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. And the reference there to the opening of the mouth really means the opening of the heart and of the mind, the whole being. Open yourself up to embrace all that God is. That's when men will find fulfillment for their souls that they're crying out for. David, speaking of his His enemy says in Psalm 5, there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. It sums up well the enemies of the gospel, doesn't it? What do you get from an open sepulcher? But the stench of death and rottenness. How different is the, the conversation of the child of God? Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 21, The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. What makes the word of God sweet to the taste of the believer? It's the fact that it comes from the mouth of God. Are we not privileged, beloved, to have God, God who created this universe, God who is all-powerful, Almighty, thrice holy, to think that he 
would come and speak to the likes of you and me. Is that not amazing? Is that not a privilege? What makes the word of God sweet to the taste of the believer? It's coming from God, his own mouth. In verse 103 of this psalm, the writer says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You enjoying his word to your soul, beloved? You tasting the honey every day? Honey's good for you. Are you enjoying his word? Why, why is his word so sweet? It's because it leads us to Christ. Isn't that what this book is about? He's the chief subject in all the scriptures. Verse 162 here, the writer says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Now maybe, maybe we take our Bible for granted. You may have several copies of the scriptures in your home. I trust you love the word, learn to cherish it. You know, if the Muslims were to have their way, if Islam was to come to rule and reign in this part of the world, you might find yourself under threat for owning a Bible. You might face imprisonment for reading it or for preaching it. Let's never take it for granted. Don't wait till it's taken from you, beloved, to learn the preciousness of it. Jeremiah said in chapter 15, 16, the word, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. There's reference to the mouth again. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The word eat there means to devour. Did you ever go away for the day and leave your dog at home closed up? You come back home and set him down his feet and devour it. Don't take time to chew it, just gulp it down. Now tell me, you got an appetite like that for the word? Remember Peter's exhortation, 1 Peter 2 and 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And the word desire, there's a verb. It's actually a command. Do it, that you may grow thereby. You don't have to tell a newborn babe to suck. It comes natural, doesn't it? He knows to do it. But the child of God should run naturally to the word. To the word of God for, for the nourishment that a soul needs to survive. Beloved, never starve yourself of the nourishment of God's word. But notice lastly here the maturing in God's word. Verses 132 to 136, the, the psalmist depicts five states of soul that he has experienced. Verse 132, look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as thou usest to do unto them that love thy name. Did you ever feel at times, beloved, that uh, as if the Lord is just at hand the way he used to be, or maybe he's not just the way, there the way he used to be? Isn't that how Hagar felt when she sat down with her head in her hands after being put out of Abraham's house? She was tired and thirsty and just about given up when the Lord opened her eyes and she discovered she was actually sitting close to a well. 
And she cried out with relief, Thou God seest me. Well, of course he does. Dear child of God, when you find yourself in those circumstances, when you think all is lost, just remember that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Remember God's promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Well, the devil would have you discouraged, wouldn't he? And tell you there's no point in, look at the mess you're in. The Lord has left you, he's forgotten about you, he's disowned you. He hasn't. You may have lost out with the Lord because you've neglected his word, but he'll never leave you. And you can assuredly make this text your prayer in a time of discouragement. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me. God's no respecter of persons, which just means that you've, everyone has exactly the same right to claim his presence, his power, and his blessing as any other believer anywhere on this planet. Since he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then he's your God. And he'll never leave you alone. And if you feel at a distance from the Lord, then you can pray, Lord, remember me. If you need direction, look at the next verse, 133. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Now, if you're to to pray, Lord, order my steps in thy word, then that means that you're willing to take direction from the Lord. No point in praying that if you're not going to listen to what the Lord tells you. It, it means obedience. And of course, if you want to make the best of your Christian experience, then there's got to be obedience. This, this really is the prayer of a surrendered heart. If you run into a period of silence when it seems the Lord isn't speaking to you, it usually means you've done something to cause the Lord to step back from you. And something needs to be put right. You need to get back into the place of fellowship with himself. But it's only a prayer away. I think of Sarah who longed for a child but hadn't the patience to wait on God's promise being fulfilled. Genesis 16 and 2 says, Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I, I pray thee, go in unto my maid, that I may obtain children by her. And notice these words. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. He did what she said. But if you look at the last verse of Genesis 16, it says, now, Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. But the very next verse, the opening verse of chapter 17, it says, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thy perfect. Now notice, take time and look up the passage, Genesis 16 and 17. Between those two verses, the last verse in 16 and the first verse in chapter 17, you go from Abram being 86 to 99 in silence. 13 years in that man's life, and there's no record of any communication between God and Abram. Now, what happened? He listened to Sarai. He should have been listening to the Lord. 
He took matters into his own hands. And for the next 13 years, he went without a word from God. Is that not lamentable? 13 is the number of rebellion. Rebellion and apostasy. Beloved, have you been going for some time without a word from God? How long has it been since you last heard him speak to your heart? Is there something between you and the Lord today that has caused the line of communication to be cut? Isn't there something there that needs to be put right? Romans 6 and 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. It's never God's will for you to be living under the power of sin. And that's in keeping with the prayer of the psalmist here when he says, order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Beloved, maybe you need to make that your prayer. Verse 134, deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. If, as we suspect, the writer here is Daniel, we think he is the psalmist in this case, and we can understand something of the oppression he had to endure. Remember, he was forbidden to pray. But he refused to worship idols and was cast into the den of lions. Hence, he prayed to be delivered from it. But he only wanted to be delivered so that he might have the freedom to walk with God and to worship the Lord without hindrance. There are days, and we all experience them, when the sun maybe doesn't shine upon us. But it is always shining. Oh, the sky may cloud over. And we've had two or three days here of quite severe fog. The sun was still shining. We just couldn't see it because of the cloud. But it's always there. Even if it's pouring out the heavens, the, the sun's still there above the clouds. And the blessed sun of righteousness is likewise, likewise always shining for our benefit. And the writer here is no different. He knew dark days like everybody else. But he prayed, make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. And isn't it true, beloved, that we learn far more about the Lord in dark days than we do when the sun's shining? Dark days help us appreciate the sunshine of his face. The hymn writer penned the words, Son of my soul, thou Saviour dear, it is not might, it, it is not night if thou art near. O oh, may no earth-born cloud arise to hide me from my Saviour's eyes. We thought about the oppression that the believer has to endure by times, and the writer here was no stranger to it, but notice the last verse of this section. His heart actually goes out to his oppressors. Verse 136, rivers of water. Run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. He's, he's feeling sorry for those who have lifted their hand or their voice against him. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's feeling sorry for them, his, his, those who have chosen to be his enemies. He's safe. He's saved 
He belongs to the Lord. But his adversaries are doing the devil's work and trying to discourage him, and he feels for them. Well, it would be easy to snub the ungodly, wouldn't it? It would be easy to think of some out there who practice wickedness and say, let them go to hell. Well, what did the psalmist do? He shed tears over them. He was broken before God because those people out there didn't realize the harm they were doing to themselves. They were against the people of God. They were against the word of God, the servant of God. What does he do? He prayed for them. Remember when Stephen was being beaten to death? What did he do? Lifted up his eyes and his voice to the Lord and he prays, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Here's the psalmist and he's actually shedding tears for those that are oppressing him. Rivers of water running down his face, not because they hurt him, but because they keep not thy law. Beloved, it's a sad truth today that tears are not much in evidence in our prayer meetings. Souls are perishing all around us. Men, women, young people are drifting through life with no preparation made for eternity, seemingly no concern. Even on our way here this morning, people were out shopping. There were tractors on the road. They're out walking their dogs. People, from what we can see, probably heading for hell's destruction and don't care, don't seem to know to care. Do we care? Must we not pray, Lord, open my eyes to see the need that is around? These are terrible days we're living in. This land of ours, the mess that Ulster's in today. I mean, a couple of generations ago, we never would have dreamed that we'd be seeing the things we're seeing. And where are our tears? the lost souls of men. Soon will the season of rescue be over. Soon will they drift to eternity's shore. Haste then, my brother. No time for delay. We'll throw out the lifeline and save them today. Beloved, you pray that the Lord will cause you to hear from the mouth of God. Cause you to feel burdened for those that are lost. Think of that day when, when you arrive home in glory. What will you hear then from the mouth of God? Will you hear that well done, good and faithful servant? Well, I pray the Lord will so move all our hearts. That that's what we'll be looking forward to. May the Lord burden us for those that are perishing around us in danger of hell's destruction. Give us a love for the lost souls of men, a greater love for his word, enabling grace to live a life that's holy.
pleasing in his sight. That the world might see in us something of the beauty of Christ and become desirous of his so great salvation. May the Lord bless these few thoughts today to our hearts. We bow together in closing prayer. Our loving Father, thank you for the challenge of thy word today. Lord, we have to confess that all too often we see people as trees walking. Oh, open our eyes, anoint us afresh with thy salve to behold the ungodly around us, friends, neighbors, maybe even family, in danger of perishing in a lost, undone eternity. Give us an honest concern for their souls. Help us to pray men and women into the kingdom. O oh, use us, everyone, for thy glory and the extension of thy kingdom. Baptize us with power, we pray of thee. Cleanse us, fill us with thy Holy Spirit. Make our lives useful and usable. And we pray that in and through each one of us, Christ would be glorified. 